Star jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast aye, shield. Aye, sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Aye, sir. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. We should be able to hear the magnetic resonance field. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. Good morning, or afternoon, or evening, whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the Event Horizon, where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time as we delve into the worlds of science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. I'm your host, Gene Turnbow. I'm your other host, Susan Fox. And with us are the composers of the soundtrack to the new Warner Home Video film, the Batman The Killing Joke. They are Christopher Carter, Lolita Ritmanis, and Michael McQuistian. Welcome to the show. Yay! That's great. They are the dynamic music partners. Now, is that a. a, That sounds like a superhero group, doesn't it? The Avengers, the the, the Justice League, the dynamic music partners. Uh, They're they're right up. So you've all been very, very busy working in this genre for years as it is. And now, and if you listen to this station at all, you you have heard their work, I promise you, and you'll hear it again. So um, how long ago did you all get started? Yeah, I see, uh, Chris, you got... Uh, you scored your first episode of Batman the Animated Series at age 22? Yeah, I was yeah. right uh, right out of college. I had an opportunity to work under Shirley Walker, who brought us all together, and uh, scored my first episode that, that early. Now, that's another name we know. And, and Shirley fear, Walker. What a loss. Uh, yeah, I'm very sorry that she had to leave this, this planet. Yeah, she was our mentor and our friend, and, and we owe... We owe so much of who we are today because of of how she helped get us started in the business and her guidance and her talent and her expertise and all that. So, yes, we miss her terribly. So um, let's see you, Chris, you have been composing feature for feature films. Uh, you've won. Um, we are surrounded by Emmy awards, Annie awards, nominations, just just raining from the sky. Yeah, I, I, you know, as we've all been working together, we we have. Um, gosh, it's been uh, twenty years now. I think that we've been working, writing all the music for all these superhero shows. And it's not just the uh, Batman either. I, I see uh, Young Justice in your resume here, on uh, uh, and and the Marvel side. There's Avengers Assemble. There's uh, Batman, not Batman, Spider Man. Oh, don't tell Batman I said that. And yeah, we've actually crossed over to both sides. So you know, we cross over and back on a regular basis, and and try to keep everything fresh. 
Um, we've done we most of our work early work was all Warner Brothers as far as superhero work, but uh, but I, I'm thinking what was our first series that was was not Warner Brothers that was in the superhero genre was it Spider Man? Ben Ten. Yeah. Oh, you wrote the. Oh my God! All the stuff that I've been loving for all this time, you guys have been writing the music for all of it. Mm-hmm. Great. <laughs> I told you. I told you. You you hardly listen to anything else. It's Gosh. John Williams and them. And yeah, pretty it. much. Yeah. Wow. It's wow. a wonderful time working on Ben Ten. It was it was such a different feeling from you know the superheroes that are that uh, you know because it's a younger superhero and and young, younger energy and it's different kind you know teenager problems and all kinds of stuff that we got to focus on other than capes and cowls. And it was in the Midwest and trailer parks and very kind of normal settings and not mm-hmm. like other worlds and things like that so much at the beginning, certainly. So where did your set – oh, here's a segue. So where did your your story begin? Actually, we each have our own You each story. have your own, don't you? You came, you came to Lolita, this Lolita, let's hear yours first. Well, my story is I, I am a Latvian American, so I, I was raised by Latvian immigrants who left Latvia during World War II. So a um, big part of my life is, is also being involved in the Latvian culture. I, I grew up in Portland, Oregon, went to Cleveland High School. Um, I never really thought about being a film composer until I moved down to Los Angeles straight out of high school. Um, I thought I would be a singer, songwriter, rock star, kind of performer, etc. And but, you are a rock star. Oh, I'm a rock, rock star. star. <laughs> but I really, really fell in love with with uh, film scoring, and and um, I'm so glad I did. I'm so glad I discovered that uh, early on in my in my career. So that that was I started uh, by uh, working. My first job in the industry really was working in the music library, where I would. Uh, proofread music and orchestrate uh, for for pretty big features and also work just in grunt work, being on the scoring stage, hearing the orchestras play these wonderful scores, being around composers like John Williams and Basil Polidorus and Michael Kamen. So I caught the bug really early. And luckily for me, Shirley Walker had this idea to start a program on Batman the Animated Series where she would bring in young talent and nurture the talent and eventually kind of let us, not even kind of, uh, ask us and allow us to write on, on the series. And that was where I met Michael. And Michael, you want to take it? Um, sure, yeah. I mean, I, I'm from the Midwest, so I'm a little bit partial. That's why I had a shout out to that with the Ben 10 <laughs> setting and everything. Um, but I, I grew up in a really small town, and but we had a very active cultural community, and we did lots of theater and musical theater, especially even during we had summer stock, and we did all all that sort of thing. And I found myself having the most fun, kind of as an accompanist. I was a pretty decent piano player, and I would play in the pit bands that we had, and I called them bands. Sometimes it was just two pianos and a drum set, but um, that's how that's kind of how I grew up, um, doing a lot of that kind of thing. And I, of course, I was involved in music classes at school. But there came a time when I was sort of thinking about, you know, what do I want to do? And I, originally I thought, oh, I'll be a studio musician and I'll play woodwinds and I'll be like a woodwind doubler and play all these different woodwinds. But I really wasn't that good of a woodwind player. I just loved music. And mm-hmm. so I thought, well, maybe that's not so smart. And then right about that time um, was when the, these movies like Star Wars and, and 
Superman and all these wonderful John Williams film scores were, were happening. And I found myself just completely captivated by that type of music. And I thought to myself, you know, if I could do that for the rest of my life, I probably would, would be just the happiest guy on earth. I would never run out of challenges. It would be a constant thing for me. So I decided in high school that I wanted to be a film composer and, and a film composer of orchestral film music. And that was my decision at that time. I didn't realize how broad the spectrum was, and it's certainly become even broader. Um, so I set out to get myself a, a classical composition degree, figuring that that would give me the kind of education I needed to work with an orchestra. And so I did that and then uh, came out to USC to take their film scoring program. And I lucked out because it was the first year that Buddy Baker it was the head of that program. I don't know if you know his name, but he was he's the guy that did all that stuff at Epcot Center for like you know, he did all oh, the Haunted yes. Mansion, okay. Empires of the Caribbean, mm-hmm. all those rides and those beautiful mm-hmm. Epcot films that were in surround and oh he was just he was the guy that did that and he was in his 70s at the time i think and he brought all his friends in to be our teachers which were people oh like God. jerry goldsmith and harry mancini and erwin costell and like all these oh, incredible oh. bruce broughton and david raxon and these are people that i studied with at the time so i i really lucked out <laughs> you are the, and you are the heirs to a kingdom yeah, it was. I, I, you know, what I really felt like it was sort of a kind of a legacy because those people have been my heroes anyway. And then to actually have them say, "Well, this is how I do this," and you know, I could ask questions and say, "Well, how do you deal with jazz in a film score?" And Jerry Goldsmith would say, "Well, this is how I do this." And mm-hmm. I just feel like it was sort of a kind of a passing on of information. And I, I uh-huh. feel like we're kind of we're kind of the last generation that have a connection to that to that generation, really. And so I, it was just a great honor and a privilege to be, you know, around those people. And then after that, I just went to work as a personal assistant for a keyboard player named Mike Lang. And if you read soundtrack liner notes, you'll know his name for sure because he's on everything. Amazing, genius keyboard player. And that's how I ended up meeting Shirley. It, it was a roundabout way. I've told this story before, but I was working for Mike and his uh, the person who dealt with his rack wiring for his synth rig was Don Walker, who happened to be Shirley's husband, but I didn't know who she was. And one day Don said, hey, what do you do when you're not you know, working with, working for Mike? And I said, well, I'm, I want to be a film composer. And he said, well, do you have any music? I said, well, yeah, I, I happen to have a, a demo that I recorded. He said, well, give it to me, and I, I like to let my wife hear it. I said, sure, I'd love to get any feedback I can get. So he took the tape, and a month later I got this phone call from Shirley saying, hey, you want to score Batman with me? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> Oh yes, <laughs> so, Christopher. How about you? My first job ever, and uh, that's where I met Lolita. And then, of course, later we met Chris because mm-hmm. he he came on. He was younger than all of us. He was watching. He was watching our episodes when he was in college. He was watching on the TV in the dorm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's basically what was happening. Was that I I had decided at the the college I was I was studying classical composition. And um, I decided I didn't want to write concert music. I wanted to write film music. And, oh, man, there was this great show that my, that my uh, doormates and I would watch, Batman, the animated series, the best incarnation of Batman animated ever. And so uh, I, met, uh, I happened to play in the orchestra with a boy named Ian Walker, who is one of Shirley's sons. Ah. And through that connection, he was gracious enough to open the door to Shirley when she was still, um, you know, accepting demo tapes. And even though I came in near the end of Batman the Animated Series, um, when I graduated, she did offer me a chance to come out and and join the team. That's where I met Michael and Lolita. 
and we just continued on together under Shirley. Yep. That is fantastic. So are you fostering new youth? Who's coming up, you know? Well, we all we have quite a few people that reach out to us through the website and we uh we we do our best to to listen to music that's sent to us and and try to advise and 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 help as much as we can. I mean, we we don't have a situation where we have a a huge office building. We each have our own studio and uh so it's not really a situation where we have, uh, you know, an apprentice running around uh, an office building um, doing stuff, bringing coffee. I mean, we, we work mm-hmm. out of our homes, homes and our studios are here. But, yeah, I think it's really important to pass it, pass it on. And uh, as a woman composer, I, I have a little bit of a, an extra kind of a charge to help open the door for other up, up, up and coming aspiring women composers because Shirley was really a trailblazer. There, there um, were not, and there, there are not that many visible female film composers. And now uh, it's, it's very much a, a driving force to, to try to bring those composers out, out into the light, so to speak, to, to let them shine a little bit more. So yeah, I think we, we all try to help help up-and-coming composers as much as we can. So you each worked on various pieces for the film, um, The Killing Joke, and which, who wrote what? Yeah, it was a very nice soundtrack, by the way. Uh, we, we sat down and watched it last night, and we found the music did not overwhelm. You know, there, there aren't that many toe-tapping numbers except for this one. When the world is full of care. And that song, the the whole verse, the the lyrics were were in the comic book. You didn't have to write write the lyrics for that. Just, but it's just score it. It sounds like it's it'd be something like you the know trying to build number. a ship in a bottle though, because those lyrics are already there, and then you have to retrofit the music to that. Who who was it that did that? And and uh, can you tell us a little bit about how that work went? Well, we did it together. I mean, uh, uh, we had a meeting with Bruce Tim about about it early, early on, because songs and animation have to be done way ahead of everything else, because that's mm-hmm. when they record the voices. And so we sat down with him and, you know, here's these lyrics and, and you know, they are very much in print and they're they are what they are. And so we said, well, what are you thinking about? He said, I don't really know. Um uh, it could be anything, and I and we kind of said well, we kind of feel the same way. And so, if I if you correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but he pretty much sort of sort of said, let's just try something and let me know, you know, just go away and do something, and then I'll, we'll we'll figure it out as we go. Wow, what freedom! <laughs> well, a lot of freedom, but you know, when you have that much freedom, sometimes it's paralyzing. And so, I think you know, we each of the three of us kind of did our own take on it. This is internally between the three of us. We did our own take on it, and we brought our material together into one room, and we sort of picked what we felt was like the best parts of each of our material and put it together into a presentation. And that's what we ended up uh, submitting to to Bruce for him to take a look at. Um, And he ended up loving it. So, yay. (laughs) That's that's great. I mean, such a striking number. Well, it's just, just it's so very different than all the rest of the score and, and intentionally very, very different than the rest of the score. It's supposed to be something that that shocks you out of where you are into a different place. It's supposed to be something that's so 
kooky and inviting and quirky and fun that you forget about the horror of what's happening on screen. It actually makes it, I think, even more intense. Yeah, and then towards the end of the song, about the last third of the song, um, uh, brilliant uh, artist and producer that we've worked with on many projects, James Tucker, actually created the the visuals for for that number. And towards the end of the song, of course, you see some 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 pretty horrific images. So, kind of the duality of of hearing of hearing the Broadway toe tapping number, and then hearing seeing the horrific images, I think is is makes the Joker even more maniacal and and just complex in his in his experience what what he's doing in that particular story so and the film did not have one of those machine gun constant action paces uh, that uh, previous other warmer animation films have had it was very thoughtful and they kind of stapled on a backstory of of bad girl like as if if anybody out there doesn't know who Batgirl is already you don't need to know it's uh-huh. right there <laughs> but where i was going with this was that it gave you time to take a breath and uh and really emote with the soundtrack and that's uh uh there was room for the soundtrack yeah, to be mm-hmm. the character absolutely i i think a lot of times animation moves so much more fast than live action um everything's a lot more compressed and we we realized as we were writing the score just how much room there was to breathe and it was nice to have that time to actually have the music say something and bruce intentionally had long long scenes that i think in other times might have just been cut short but he left them long so that we could have the time to to really build something and that was it was a wonderful opportunity for music yeah, and director Sam Liu had had definitely an idea of how he wanted the score to exactly to breathe and to have a more broad stroke kind of approach. So it was very freeing and, and wonderful to actually be able to do that and not not play just 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 the horror, but play kind of the the mystery and the mm-hmm. cerebral kind of the depth of, of emotion. You know, it, the there's a lot yeah. of introspection going on between the characters, too, and there was time for us to, you know, feel their thoughts. So yeah, I think you mentioned about the action pieces that there weren't really any of these action p- pieces that you've come accustomed to with the other Warner shows. And the interesting thing about that is, is that there were. Oh, sure, there but were, the but they weren't. Is, they weren't the show. They weren't the whole show. Well, but the interesting thing about these action pieces, because I actually ended up doing a few of those, is that they were so integral to what was happening on the screen. It, it wasn't like okay. We're going to stop the plot and now have a fight. It was like they were incorporated so beautifully into the thread of the story that it just – it was like an elevation of the pace and then a relaxing of the pace. But you didn't feel like, OK, now we're fighting and now we're not fighting. It, it was so organic and I, mm-hmm. I think having action be that organic is not an easy thing to do. It was, it was done in a very artistic and, and really inspiring way. Uh, difficult to do in an animation, certainly. It takes a lot more attention, you know, mm-hmm. because you have to, you can't just go shoot things and say, oh, well, this looks, you know, 
closer to right or, you know, let's play with the lighting and this and that. You have to plan everything out well in advance. Um, do you... Did you find that uh, that some of the music you were writing was actually informing what the artists were doing, uh, creating the, the visuals, or uh, is is it strictly the other way around? Well, I think uh, that most of the music was done after the fact. It, it was really the song that was done ahead of time, and that mm-hmm. definitely was you know sent to them and it was like well this is the here is the song and so they definitely you know uh, james tucker definitely created the visuals specifically for that song but everything else that we did was done after the picture was already locked and, and ready to go yeah who knew mark hamill could sing <laughs> at, least yeah. he, at least he hit his notes he was great. He was such a such a. She was. He was very prepared and oh, yeah. just a joy to work with. You know, once we got over our initial, you know, oh my gosh, it's Mark Hamill, ah, <laughs> right. kind of thing. But he's oh, hundred percent committed, hundred and twenty percent committed. I mean, he was really into it. Well, this is the script he always wanted to to shoot, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, we've already said that 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 he if he wanted to do Joker one more time, he was hoping it would be this. So that was great. That he was able <laughs> be careful to, what you wish for. Yeah, exactly. I mean, for us, this this the the book, the graphic novel, it was a new thing for us. So we didn't we came into this project fresh. We didn't have a big preconception of what this mm-hmm. could be or should be or what people were expecting it to be. We were really just there to help uh, Bruce, Tim, and Sam Liu kind of realized their vision of what this what this should be and uh it it i think it was very freeing for us i know that now after the fact you know everyone likes to analyze everything and for some people this has been such this this particular book had so much so much uh power in their life and i'm happy that i hadn't read it before i was involved in this project it's definitely a more thoughtful more character driven story uh, than nearly everything that they've done with these characters. I am never going to let any of my friends in comedy watch this picture. Because <laughs> I think every one of them is one lab accident away from becoming a supervillain already. This will push them over the edge. Well, it's very dark, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I know for myself, I went to very, a very dark place when I was working on this it just it's it it the vocal performances by the actors by all of them were so powerful that it was kind of haunting to to be in our studios and to be composing and hearing Mm -hmm. these voices and and uh just trying to to honor honor their performances by staying out of the way where we needed to and and giving a little some sort of an extra layer of introspection where where perhaps that would help well, they sure got their A team of, of voices in this in this picture. Oh yeah, absolutely. And at the same time, uh, you know, we watched all of the extra clips as well on the DVD. And <laughs> if, for those listening, if you do that, you will get to see Lolita uh, uh, conducting the studio orchestra. Yeah. All of them conducting. All of them at the and and uh, it's uh, it's just an amazing thing to watch. Um, the the uh, soundtracks to movies and games and this kind of thing are all uh, orchestral now.
Um, when did you start? Uh, let's see. You, I guess my next question is: You've been working with uh, animation and uh, superhero stuff. Uh, have you been working on soundtracks for games as well? We've done a few. You've done um, a few. I, we together we did uh, a Ben Ten video game soundtrack and put together a bunch of tracks for that. Um, oh. Early on, I had done a couple of video games for Spider-Man that followed the Spider-Man movies, the original live-action mm-hmm. movies, number one and number two. I was involved with both of those video games. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think they used our music also from Brave and the Bold for the Brave and the Bold video game that they did. We'd love to be involved in, in a new big uh, epic video game now. That would be – we, we have been very busy – thankfully as as composers for for television and film and so we really haven't been as active in the last years in video mm-hmm. games but they've become so theatrical and so uh it's not just a, <laughs> it's a long way since what was that game with the yellow little with the Pac-Man. 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 Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a it's a long uh, way waka, from waka, waka, waka. Yeah. so <laughs> Uh, we would welcome the welcome that opportunity to score a, a really big tentpole video game. You're thinking Pac-Man, and I'm thinking Pong. <laughs> yes, Pong. <laughs> 1974 Pong. Oh my gosh! I love, I love that you know that. I was a Pong shark. That was my game. <laughs> they have never made a better game. Tank. Tank was pretty awesome. Tank was good. Tank was good. I wasn't that good at Tank. <laughs> so. <laughs> You guys got your uh, uh, primetime Emmy nomination for uh, um, everything. Everything. The, the Batman: Brave and the Bold, Mayhem of the Music Meister. I loved that. Which is one of our all-time favorites, and we have every song from that show in rotation on Krypton Radio. Every uh-huh. kind. That's awesome. Including in French. We found yeah, Yes, and we found alternate languages. We, we found the, as well. the, the the love duet or the not love duet between uh, the music meister and Black Canary en Francais and they sound wonderful. Wow. I know I haven't even heard that and yeah. Oh okay, we'll dig that up for you. Yeah, yeah. we we can definitely find you find you that file and send it to you. We yeah uh, we enjoy uh, we we were at Comic Con recently and we we as part of our panel um, we had the audience sing along to that <laughs> and uh, and and had everyone play the part of uh, Canary or or uh, mm-hmm. Music Meister. Yeah. So did you get to work with Neil Patrick Harris directly or? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> How fun is that? How fun. I mean, he's got such a, a fantastic voice, and he's he's got such a a, a range as a performer. His- we caught him. We caught him. Well, not we, but uh, Andrea Romano, the casting director. Mm-hmm. She uh, got him at, at the right time. I mean, he was he was definitely busy, but he he had not yet, I believe, done the hosting thing correct michael is that correct yeah it was right before he hosted the tonys that first time and that mm-hmm. really is what broke him out and then everybody just noticed him big time after that yeah i don't know if we would have got we would have had him on on this episode had had uh, andrea not had such a great connection so she's oh, she's fun. amazing mm-hmm. and uh, he, oh it was he was a delight and uh, he would we we worked with him on the entire on the entire project yeah yeah he was terrific what a remarkable project. Just the whole idea of an entire episode 
Well, being, every, every being show has sung. to have a musical episode now. I think Drew Carey did started that, and then Buffy the Vampire Slayer had one. And yeah, sing, sing-alongs at the conventions are good because you can, you know, just flip on the closed captions. Aquaman's rousing song of heroism. Oh, was that yours? Was that one of yours? We did. Um, we that was did Brave and the Bold. That was from Brave and the Bold. Brave, that was that what Bra- they're calling it now. We did. Um, the gray and blue. Yeah. Gray and blue. Yeah, we, that- we have that one. On, we yeah. play that one too. But the same singer, voice actor John DiMaggio, was oh, uh, also doing yeah. Aquaman, and he's got quite a good voice, a singing voice, hasn't he? He does. Yeah, he does. I mean, you're not. You couldn't be talking about the Curries of Atlantis. I mean, that was a, like that's an esoteric one. Oh, that yes. was pretty esoteric. No, there was one where he defeats his brother and some other supervillain, and he's like down in the cells with some some poor schlub who thinks he's a failure as a as a super person. And, and Captain Adam has lost his power. Oh, that was it. That was it. Uh, and he's and trying he's to inspire trying to him. rouse him. And who are you, a man or a Superman? And going, oh, oh they yeah. snuck that yeah. in. A man or a, oh my gosh! See, you're remembering stuff that we have. Like, oh my gosh, I hadn't even thought of that song. <laughs> I know it's just all stuff you did ten years ago and forgot about. But no, we, we yeah, but, but we, that, yeah. we love the fact that J- James Tucker is a big fan of Broadway and musicals and and. He was the one that uh, you know that encouraged. Had, they came to the table with, uh, you know, we should have a song here. We should have a song there. <laughs> hey, let's do a whole darn episode with singing. Yeah, and um, uh, you know that the, the music master episode was the first thing that we did on the Brave and the Bold because once mm-hmm. again the music had the songs had to be recorded even before the animation. Right. So right. we we knew we were going to do the series. We hadn't seen more than conceptual art, mm-hmm. and here we are writing an entire episode of music. Yeah, never mind the fact that nobody had ever written a Batman musical before. <laughs> I mean, this was def- this was the first Batman musical, so it was like they. He, thank goodness nobody figured that out until after we finished it, because I mean that's kind of intimidating as it is. Yeah, and hats off to Warner Brothers for for uh, yeah, getting they- getting more funding so we could have mm-hmm. a nice orchestra on the on the recording yeah. sessions and and yeah, and working with James Tucker and Michael Jelinek uh, with who both wrote lyrics uh they were they were really great i mean we they they were very forthcoming with uh with their ideas and then they didn't criticize us too much about what we did let kind of let us fly and and uh, be a little crazy at times so tell me about no doing the batusi huh (laughs) (laughs) tell me about mystery of the batwoman and how did how did that come about well, frankly, I think it was kind of, it was my turn. Um, those direct-to-videos, um, I think Shirley was still kind of supervising, and, and it was, you know, Michael had done Sub-Zero, and Chris had done, had you already done Return of the Joker? So it was my turn, and uh, and as it happened to be, it was Mystery of the Batwoman, and I am a woman, and whatever. I mean, you know. It, uh, it it turned out uh, to be a, a marvelous experience for me, um, working with Alan Burnett primarily, um, and he gave me a lot of free reign to to uh, do what I felt was kind of create a tone for that particular film that was a little bit different, a um, little jazzy, little kind of a little mystery tones. Um, and then there was also that really fun short um, as part of the release uh, called Chase Me, that Paul Dini was kind of the brainchild behind that. 
Um, it was great. Um, I'm very fortunate to work. Uh, I, 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 my husband is, is my music engineer and, and helps produce uh, the music. And at that point, there wasn't a big orchestra on that. It was it was ju- really just solo instruments that were being featured, mm-hmm. uh, primarily John Yoakum on the saxophone and all the woodwinds, and and I played the piano myself, and and just a lot of production to make it sound cool because you know the budget wasn't as big as for the other previous films, and I didn't want to try to compete with a big, huge live mm-hmm. orchestral symphonic sound. So I decided to go more in the jazz realm, and it it, it really is one of my favorite scores. So I'm very I'm proud of it and happy that it's out on CD. How um how do you work around not having as big an orchestra as you'd like? What do you what do you do in, in terms of arrangement? Um, well, I lock myself in the bathroom and cry for a little bit, and then, no, <laughs> uh, no. What uh, we of course have to have, uh, we have to have good, good equipment, really good sounds, and and sometimes when if you they want an orchestral sound, we have to be able to provide it, whether it's it's real human beings playing at the time or or uh, or samples, um, but. We always try to have some live instruments that mm-hmm. will really enhance. And and technology-wise, uh, Chris especially is always looking out for the best new sounds. And, yeah, so I rely on Chris. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just going to say that, I mean, the, the, the what you can get out of a computer these days is, is remarkably lifelike. But when a real orchestra plays, there's, you know, air particles moving. And that capturing that, that feeling of the air moving – is and the the expression of a real player you just can't duplicate the computers and that's why we do if we mm-hmm. if just having one player or something to to add some life to the 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 samples makes all the difference it's uh it's almost like um you get an orchestra in a room and before they play there is that solid moment the uh the silence hangs in the air for a moment before the music begins and it's it's that anticipation that uh, that makes the music come alive. Leopold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. You got it. Yay. They laughed. They laughed. Somebody <laughs> laughed at that. Thank God. I love it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we broke it. We broke That's funny. It was on, on Killing Joke, we had... A phenomenal string section. Um, we decide. I mean, we had other musicians as well, but mm-hmm. that was early on. We decided that that would be a great way to to translate the story to have just a, 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 a not an acre, not quite an acre, but a half an acre of string <laughs> and yeah. really wonderful musicians. Be, many of them who had played on the original Batman animated series. So it was kind of like a reunion for us. Uh, so, Chris, you're the uh, you seem to be the most um, progressive of the three of you with respect to finding new voices for orchestration. What do you uh, what do you look for? What do you bring in? Um, are you are you? Uh, I think he sneaks around back alleys with a you know with a microphone and <laughs> field recordings. Maybe? I don't know. I, I don't know that I would consider myself that progressive, especially because all three of us have have the same skill set. I mean, we all orchestrate, we all conduct, we all use synthesizers, and we all do it equally well. We really do. Well, no, but I I under I I can I can respect that that observation because I think that uh I personally I don't know if I would necessarily sample 
uh, Boeing of a trash can or something like that. But you would maybe you do that, for instance, to get an int- really interesting new sound. I, so we have our different, we have, you know, definitely certain different styles and things that are our forte. And uh, and Chris just has an extremely inquisitive mind as far as su- seeking out this information. And then, of course, he shares it with us just as <laughs> just as Michael mm-hmm. shares, shares things with us and I share things with the guys, too. So so it's a very collaborative process. Absolutely. We are, I think we're all our, our biggest cheerleaders because I think in the, in the industry, you, have, you, know, you can be kind of left out to dry as an artist. And, and, and this way, with the three of us together, we support each other. We lift each other up. We definitely inspire each other. I know that I have to constantly you know, work harder to make sure that my music is up to snuff because I'll hear something great that Lolita came up with or that Michael came up with. And, and even though we do have our own voices, the interesting thing about it is that we're also very versatile and that's mm-hmm. why when you're asking who did what bits of, of the Killing Joke, uh, we've worked with Bruce Tim for so many years. He he said he thinks he knows us down. He said, "Well, I'm going to know who's who does what cue." And sure enough, he said, "Chris, you did this," and and it was Lolita's cue. And then he's like, "Well, Michael must have done that." And no, it was Chris. And so I mean, I, I think that it's this um, working together for so many years. We have a, a trust and a, a board brain connection. And <laughs> uh-huh. that, you know, our scores are 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 cohesive. And that's why you work so well as a team and why together you are greater than the sum of your parts. Ladies and gentlemen, we have been speaking to Lolita Rickmanis, Michael McQuistian, and Christopher Carter, the composers of the score for Batman the Killing Joke. I am your host, Gene Turnbow. I am your other host, Susan Fox. And you have been listening to The Event Horizon. And thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Thank you. You have been listening to episode 146 of Krypton Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon for August 13th, 2016. Your hosts have been Susan Fox and Gene Turnbow, and our guests this evening have been the composers of the soundtrack for The Killing Joke. Lolita Romanis, Christopher Carter, and Michael McQuistian of the Emmy-winning music production company Dynamic Music Partners. This episode will air again on Sunday, August 14th, 2016 at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern, and two more times on the following Sunday and Saturday morning at 4 a.m. Pacific, 7 a.m. Eastern. Once all the airtimes have passed, you will find this episode and others on iTunes and Stitcher, and of course on our own website at kryptonradio.com as podcasts. If you are an artist, writer, actor, or other creator, and you would like to appear as a guest on the Event Horizon, please contact our production manager, Kat Carter, at catcarter at kryptonradio.com. Krypton Radio is substantially listener-supported. If you enjoyed this evening's episode, please consider becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash kryptonradio. Just five green pieces of paper a month. That's all we ask. This program is copyright 2016 by Krypton Media Group Incorporated. The Event Horizon. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi.